boy, how awesome is that? Amen? That's good. You know, the difference between hope and hope, okay? There's a hope that just says, I kind of hope so. This is a hope that says it's based on the promise of God, the promise of Jesus Christ. And the word used for hope is only meaning that it's just something that we're sure about. It's only in the future. That's why the word hope, faith is now. Hope is future faith. And that's really the distinction between them. I love that we just kind of hope it's going to happen. Uh, we're sure it's going to happen. That's the difference. I love the story about a lady who was at the garage sale. In fact, uh, she bought a $3 piece of china. How many of you love garage sales? You would love my wife, okay? How many of you just try not to look at him and push to the gas a little faster, okay? I'm there with you, okay? But she loves these garage sales. There was a lady that literally, true story, bought a piece of china, a bowl, for $3. A couple of years later, discovered that it was worth more than just $3. Wanted to put it into an auction. In the auction, they estimated the price of this, finding out that it was over 1,000 years old. Put an estimated price on it of $200,000. It went into auction. They were bidding on it. And the fellow that got it got this china bowl that was sold at a garage sale for $3. He bid and got it for $2 million. Is that amazing? Okay. Now, my detriment in telling that story is that it's going to make all of you want to do garage sales more often. Okay. But what made it worth $3 to the person that sold it and bought it? That was what they thought it was worth. What made it worth $2 million? What, what, what was the real difference there? Our family, Crane and I, uh, we are downsizing. And so we are moving, selling our home, purchasing another home, downsizing so that, I'll tell you what, that is not an easy process, okay? But what makes the house worth the price? What makes the house that we're purchasing worth the price? It's only worth what a person is willing to pay for it, right? At the garage sale, it was worth $3. On an auction block, it was worth $2 million. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, what is it worth? What is it worth? To him, it was worth His son. We just celebrated that in communion, right? It was worth the gift. God so loved, and now put your name in there. It's not just the world. It's not just a blanket, but he loved each one of us individually enough that he gave his one and only son. That was what your life is worth to God, all right? Don't let anyone ever tell you you're not worth it. The world tries to tell us we're nothing more than an accident, you realize that an accident can never have purpose because you never have accidents on purpose, right? They're accidents. They can never have purpose. But if there's an intentional effort of a God who creates us in his image and then is willing to sacrifice his own son on our behalf, we have purpose, we have worth, we have all of that. Now, let's reverse that relationship. What is your relationship with God worth? Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? All right. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark. 
We're going to be in chapter 10, and beginning with verse 17. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And what I want to do this morning is to take on a topic that is avoided by many people, but yet it is the counsel, the full counsel of God. Is it worth the relationship? It's about the rich young ruler, all right? And I want to begin reading in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he knows there's something missing or he wouldn't be coming up. He wants to be sure about his relationship with God. He wants to know that when he dies, he will be in heaven forever, right? So he introduces the topic. And then Jesus answered, why do you call me good? There is no one good except God. And they need to pause here. There is no one good except God. And I think he's going two different directions with this. Why did you call me good? Do you realize what you just called me? I am God. There is no one good but God, and you just called me good. The second direction is for this young man who thinks he's really done a pretty good job of living life, and apparently he has. But God is going to point out you're not as good as you think you are, for there's no one good except God. Verse 19, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, give false testimony, shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he declared, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I have really tried hard to do the right things. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, I want you to see this relationship. God believes he's worth it. Jesus believes he's worth it. He looks at him and loves him. But what he does now is that he speaks truth into his life. And he makes this young man who is very wealthy and has position, he makes him take a look at the hardest part of his relationship with God. And then he says this, one thing you lack, Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. He hits him at his most vulnerable point. Jesus never says this to anybody else. And I believe that when we are entering into a relationship with him, what God will do with us is he'll look inside of us and he'll say, this is the part you're holding back. And for this one person, it was his wealth. We all have things that are hard to give up when we come into a relationship with God. Parfait just mentioned a bit ago that when we take the Lord's Supper and we consider our lives, repentance is always a good thing because we're considering honestly, what have I done, what have I not done, and now what do I need to give up and what do I need to do? in a relationship with God. So repentance is always there. There's always a change that needs to happen. But I want you to see one more thing. He says, when you do this, you will have eternal life. This has been holding you back. And then he gives him an offer he doesn't give to just anybody. He says, then come and follow me. He already has 12 disciples who were 
following him day in and day out. He gives this individual an opportunity to be with Jesus day and night, to sit around the campfire with him, to ask him the questions in private, to be discipled by the Son of God. Is that worth it or not? And this man had to consider, do I hang on to this or do I let it go and accept the offer that Jesus has for me? This is what he is offering this young man. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. He knew what he was giving up. He gave it up anyway. And then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Now, there are a couple of different ways you can look at this. The, you know, camel going through the eye of a needle, uh, that's pretty difficult. But others would say, no, it, it points back to the time 2,000 years ago when a camel would carry its load. And in order to be able to get into the city, he had to get down on his knees and be able to make it through because it was too big of a... He had, he had to lower himself, and difficult to make a camel walk on his knees. I don't care which approach it is, it's tough. That's what he's saying. It's hard for one who is wealthy to give it up and trust God. Now, there are those who do. Abraham was wealthy, Job was wealthy, but it's hard. It's hard. Who then can be saved? And the reason why they're asking this question is because there was a, a thought that prevailed at that time that said, well, if you're wealthy, it means that God has blessed you. That's what it means. It means that you have such a good relationship with God as that he has just blessed you. You're in good favor with God. And what they're asking, and wow, if it's hard for a rich person to enter into, and he's blessed by God, who then can be saved? The answer comes back. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The grace that we just heard about, that's how. And then the ending, then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. He's saying, what about us? Where does that put us? And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. You know, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, it's not just your immediate family. The family just grew. You've got brothers and sisters, and it's not just your money, it's ours. We're in this family of God thing, is what he's saying. And so it just grows. But then he says, along with persecutions. There will be those in this world who do not understand what you've done when you gave your life to Christ. 
And they will feel guilty just because you're trying to do it right. And so then you become an object of scorn. There will be persecutions because there will be those in rebellion against God. In the age to come eternal life. That's what you're working toward. That's what you'll get. That's where you'll be. Because many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. We need to be scripturally sound in the way that we approach our worth before God. Jesus did not avoid hard topics. He didn't. But there are certain topics, as soon as you hear them, somebody walked in this morning, said, oh, good to see you. I said, you will love my sermon today. It's about money. And as soon as you hear that, you're going, okay. But there are other topics that in our society we would rather avoid as well. How about marriage when your marriage is difficult? How about divorce? How about pornography? How about gossip? There are topics that we would rather not talk about because we know we struggle with, and I believe that money is just one of those. It's not the only one. But Jesus does not avoid those topics. And here's what I found. I've been preaching for over 40 years now, and here's what I found. At first, I didn't like talking about money. I really didn't. But here's what I found out. Is that in any topic that is difficult to approach, you have two different kinds of people. One that says, preach it, brother. Now, why would they say that? Because they've already brought it before God and they've settled it. Their conscience before God is clean. And they're saying, we're good. And there are others here who are not, and they need to know so that they can be set free in this area of their lives as well. And we're doing what we can to advance the kingdom. When others understand what it is and they pitch in alongside of us, preach it, brother. There's that one part of, and they'll say, go for it. We want you to. But there's another part that's kind of agitated. And they would say, oh, no. Now, why would they do that? Maybe they have good reason. Maybe they've seen embezzlement within a church. Maybe they've seen the TV preachers making too much money. Maybe they've seen and heard too much of a call for money rather than a presentation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I don't know. But maybe it's just a touchy spot because they know they need to do better. I don't know. But it's two groups of people. And so let me suggest this to you. That when your emotion starts rising because of a touchy topic, see which camp you're in. Do you need to deal with something? Are you saying, preach it, brother? Because I've brought it, I've settled it, God is good. All right? So that's what I've found. But in the preaching and teaching of God's word, we cannot avoid the things that become just a little bit difficult. I want us for a few moments to be family friendly here. How is this church doing right now regarding finances, all right? And I've got five things that I want to go through very quickly. Number one, it was just a little over a year ago that this church decided to add on. Beautiful facility was needed, and now we're hardly using it. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> but, but there's still a price tag that comes with it, right? 
There's still a payment that needs to be made. A little over a year ago, and this place will just honor God when things are back to normal and people are coming and I'll get my coffee and my donuts once again and those important things in life, you know. Um, but there was that decision and there was that debt that was incurred. Following not too long after that, there was a change of leadership, and that was difficult in this church. Whenever there's a transition, whenever leadership changes, there are those who kind of weigh out whether or not they should be here, whether or not they should give, and, and so that became number two. Number three, there was no captain of the ship. I felt like when I was in ministry, I was kind of that captain of the ship. There are the boat owners, there are those elders, and but I was the voice of. And I would call people to calm in Christ, and I would challenge them with where they need to be, and I would be that one that would call them unity in Christ as a family. And there hasn't been that captain on board. The elders have done a great job. Your staff has done a great job. They really have. It is difficult. It is really difficult. But rather than to jump ship, everyone has pitched in where they could and done what they could. Number four, it's summer. Summertime is always hard on the life of a church. It is. Now, vacations have been curtailed and other things, but it's still summer. And then number five, the whole COVID crisis. It's really put a stress and a strain on everybody. And so this church at East Point, I think, is getting whacked from a number of different directions, okay? And what you can do is really internalize, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And so this is family-friendly. This may not be for the outside world that's watching this, but this is for our particular family here at East Point. And the last part that I wanted to do is just kind of get into for a little bit, where do we go from here? Let's be personally practical. And there are five quick things that I want to take here. Number one, we all have heard it. You cannot take it with you, right? We've all heard that. You can't take it with you, right? That's why I'm going to spend it all before I leave. My kids are getting nothing. How about that? No. You can't take it with you. My mother, age 91, just died a week and a half ago. And that was a difficult time with COVID because I got to see her once through the window. They kind of cheated and let me in twice to visit her. But even though she was in hospice, she was not in an end-of-life situation, so they wouldn't let us in. When she died just a week and a half ago, and then we laid her to rest last Monday, I realized again in a very fresh way, you know what she took with her? Nothing. She didn't take her body, thank God, she gets a new one. She didn't take any money. She didn't take anything. A person once said, you know, the only thing you can take with you when you leave this earth is someone else. That's the only thing you get to take with you. 
You get to share Jesus Christ and they accept him as Lord and Savior, you will see them again in heaven. You won't see any of the other stuff in heaven. It only gets better. And you know what? I have not cried a tear because I saw mom deteriorate. And it was very difficult. And when she finally died, I'm going, praise God, okay? Because of that living hope. Because I knew where she was going to be. We didn't lose mom. You only lose things when you don't know where they are. I, I know where she is. We didn't lose mom, right? I know where she is. And it only got better for her. So I rejoiced for her. But number one, you can't take it with you. Number two, goals denote purpose. What is your purpose? And have you set goals accordingly? All right, and that includes our finances. What have you set in front of you? What are your goals? Is it to retire? Is it get a nice place on a, is it to new car, new house? Wait a minute. Where does God fit into all that? Is there any, any, any of your personal goals for what you're doing with your finances, all right? And when we give our life to Jesus Christ, that good, rich, young ruler was doing so many things well. But there's one area he was holding back. He didn't set any goals for God what to do with that. He must be first. God must be first in every part of our life. When I was a child, I was taught by my parents, and it became an easier thing for me just to make it a course of life. Give you a dollar for an allowance, 10 cents goes to the church. 10 cents goes in a piggy bank. And you get to spend 80 cents on yourself. Woohoo! I thought that was great. That's not a bad deal, right? 10%, 10%, spend the rest on myself. You know, that's still not a bad deal. The harder thing is, is when you come into Christ as an adult and you haven't grown up with that. And then it's, oh my goodness, well, how do I get there? And you begin to look at your budget and you begin to look at things and then you begin to put God first. You write that first check. You know that what's going to go to him. And then as you live life, you begin to budget appropriately so that then he becomes more important in that area of your life as well. All right, but put him first. Number four, according to your ability. You do not look at the neighbor next to you and say, oh, they're giving this much, I need to give. No. Did you realize that there is a gift of giving? Now, we're all supposed to give, but God has given certain people a gift to be able to make money. That's just their gift. Some people will always be poor. And some people, no matter where they go, they will always be wealthy. It just works that way. According to your ability, not anybody else's. And then the last one is give it with a good attitude. Not grudgingly, but cheerfully. Because what you're doing is giving God this part of your life. And you're not holding anything back. What is it worth to you? What is it worth to you? For God, it was worth giving his only son. For you, is it worth even your finances to put him first? That's the question this morning. I want to close with this. The, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. 
There really is. I can know about George Washington and never know him. I can know about the president or my congressman or my senator. I can know about people and never know them. God wants us to know him. He really does. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about your whole life. If you've never done that, then you do not know that full relationship with God that you can have. You can know about him, but until you trust him in every area of your life, you really don't know him. And so I'd like to pray with you this morning. If there's something that you need to do, someone you need to talk with a little bit later, there will be counselors up here at the front. You can text the church, email, call, but we'll help you to that next step. All right? Let's pray together. Let's do that. Father, we thank you so much for loving us into a relationship that is worth it. And I am willing, no matter what it is that you want me to do, to just walk through that door. And that can include finances. It can include where I live, the job that I have. Any area that you bring me into, I need to trust you with. Help us to do that with every part of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.